Wow. Good morning. It seems a very long time since I've stood in this place. Um, but it's great to be here. Um, and I am still a member here, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> My friends, when Ian asked me to preach, uh, all he gave me was a, a hint on what he wanted me to bring to you this morning. Note this, please. It was just a hint. There was no specific passage. Nothing to give me a clue as to what has gone before in the series or what is to come after. Now, as you will see from your weekly sheets, I preach regularly at other local churches where I am generally given free reign to preach as God leads me. But very occasionally, a church will set me a particular passage on which to preach, which gives me a clue on what I have to study. However, Ian is different. Now, I don't know if it's only me that he does this to, or if he sets other preachers' briefs like he gives me. So for today, all I had to work with was dare to follow six whole life service. No chapters within a specific book, no particular verse, or even a chorus from a song. That's all he gave me to work on. But as I've already said, Ian has four when he asks me to preach. Remember the time when he set me the job to introduce the series on Psalm 119? 176 verses to summarise in 20 minutes. Or when he said, Mike, could you just condense Acts chapters 7 to 13 into a sermon? Great, I thought. Here we go again. But this time I only have the whole Bible to go through and study to find something that is relevant to dare to follow whole life service. If you're watching Ian, next time you ask me to speak, please give me a nice, easy passage to study. Maybe something from Leviticus or Numbers, <laughs> Deuteronomy <laughs> or Revelation perhaps. However, when I am looking for topics to preach on, it isn't only the Bible that I look to to inspire and lead me. My friends, we live in an age, don't we, where we are in some ways fortunate that we are bombarded with information. However, that information can be both good and bad. Now, I like to read a newspaper occasionally, or the online news from the BBC and Sky and others, and will often find an article that leads me to a thought or a passage in the Bible that questions the world's view of things. As I watch and read the news, I often find myself at odds 
with the position or standpoint of the person being interviewed based on what I then go on to read and study in the Bible. I get constant notifications on my phone about all sorts of stuff, some of which comes unsolicited and is just nonsense. But my phone also allows me access to Bible apps that give me daily readings, prayers and podcasts to watch and to listen to. And of course, I pray that God will lead me as I seek to preach his word. Now, I've used all the above in the past to help me hear, see, and listen to what I feel God is leading me to say. So, I thought, where am I going to find a word or thought to help me on this? Well, would you believe it, one morning our daily reading was Jeremiah chapter 35. And there it was, right there. A light bulb moment, you might say. So I make no apologies for borrowing and paraphrasing some of what I'm about to say to you this morning from those daily notes. Now we first come across this family from our reading, the Rechabites, in 2 Kings chapter 10. At the time of King Jehu, we meet a man named Jehonadab, who we are told was zealous in following God. In chapter 10 of 2 Kings, verses 15 and 16, we read, After he left there, he came upon Jehonadab, son of Rechab, who was on his way to meet him. Jehu greeted him and said, Are you in accord with me as I am with you? I am. Jehonadab answered. If so, said Jehu, give me your hand. So he did, and Jehu helped him up into the chariot. Jehu said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Then he had him ride along in his chariot. Now Jehonadab was a man like King Jehu. And in our reading we see that he didn't just pay lip service to his zealousness. He demonstrated it by separating his family and himself from the materialistic, idol-worshipping culture of his time. He founded the group we call the Rechabites, named after his father Rechab. Now this group chose to live apart from society and its pressures and temptations in order to live a pure life. This community was founded in protest against the corrupting influence of Canaanite life and religion. My friends, does this sound familiar to you? Our early Baptist brothers and sisters found life tough, didn't they, trying to conform to the religious norms of their time. Now my friends, those of you who have heard me preach before know that I have a very simple faith. If I read something in the Bible, I try to do what it says. So what is the Bible telling me here when I read about the Rechabites and what am I trying 
to bring to you this morning. Well, I truly believe, as I said in that introduction to Psalm 119, if you can remember, that put simply, the Bible is about the practical use of the Word of God in the believer's life. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a great line. The practical use of the Word of God in the believer's life. So firstly, we see that the Rechabites' code of contact was similar to that of the Nazarites, who took a special vow of dedication to God. And of course, the most famous Nazarite is probably Samson, who we know failed spectacularly to live up to his vow, but was still used mightily for God. Now the prophet Jeremiah in verses 1 and 2 of our reading receives a word from God to go to the house of the Rechabites and invite them to a party, a party in the temple. Weird message from God, you might think, but okay. Now we need to remember here that for perhaps 200 years, they had obeyed the vow of their ancestors to not drink wine. If Jeremiah knew this, then he probably could have guessed how this was going to go. But he obeyed what God told him to do anyway. Jeremiah took the descendants of Jehonadab to the temple and set before them lots of wine. Drink up, he said to them. Have fun. This is a party for you. What an honour. Here we have an entire family asked to come to the temple and this party is thrown in their honour. The host is a prophet. What could go wrong? And if you're thinking this is a strange and weird situation, then you're not wrong. And starting in verse 6, the Rechabites explain that they will not drink because Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, told them 200 years before that their family was to never drink wine or plant vineyards. He even told them that they were to live in tents and be nomadic. And they explained that the only reason they are in the city or near the city is that Nebuchadnezzar descended on the people of God and they fled the battle zone. My friends, this is a family dedicated to the Lord in particular ways. Jehonadab spoke to his sons and laid out a plan. And all of his descendants followed his example. They obeyed. They took purity and how they lived seriously. And they remained faithful to that vow. And they were nomadic until a powerful invading army forced them to come to Jerusalem for safety. So we have the descendants of Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, called the Rechabites, being used as a lesson, a lesson by 
the prophet Jeremiah directed by God. So, of course, your question to me is, Mike, what is the lesson? Well, in verses 12 to 16, we read, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord. The command that Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept. And they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after, after other gods to serve them. <coughs> and then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. The sons of Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, have kept the command that their father gave them. But this people have not obeyed me. Now the picture I get from this is that Jehonadab spoke to his sons and daughters once. And only once. And they obeyed. They obeyed by adopting a lifestyle directed towards God that happens to cut out planting vineyards and drinking wine. For 200 years his descendants have obeyed and now they all refuse to drink the wine that is offered and choose instead to obey their vow. In contrast, God says to Jeremiah to tell all the other people. God's servants and prophets have been speaking to them over and over and over again to obey him and worship him, and yet they choose not to obey. <coughs> God has instructed them, change your ways. Adopt a lifestyle that is away from idols and away from the ways of the world. But God says specifically here, the people have not listened. In general, the people of God have been disobedient. God is calling them again to turn away from their evil ways and to change how they worship and to follow God faithfully. And my friends, here is the lesson for us today. Now, my study of the Bible often leads me to say things that are hard for people to hear. They're often very hard for me to preach as well. But I study, as I study, I realise that I am learning as well. And this passage tells me that God expects obedience. It tells me that God expects prayer and worship. And it tells me that God wants us to have a personal relationship with him. He expects that he is our 
priority. And with friends, he wants us to be faithful. Therefore, I have to say that it is not happening here with the people of God in our reading. And I believe we need to recognise that the church today in general is not faithful to God. We continue to see and hear and read the arguments about same-sex relationships and their place in the church. We read or hear about church leaders and prominent Christians having affairs or being involved in financial scandals. My friends, it might seem at times as though there is no one, not a single genuine godly person on the planet. After all, we're all human, aren't we? How can we be expected to meet God's standards for holy living when we're faced with all the pressures of our world today? Now, Jeremiah himself had moments of profound discouragement and dismay, living and ministering in a largely faithless, idolatrous and corrupt society as he did. My friends, once again, does this sound familiar? There will be times when we as Christians come into conflict with the world and its ways and views and what we read in the Bible. Now here is where the descendants of Jehonadab come in and give us an example to follow. <coughs> the contrast with the Rechabites and the rest of God's people and us and with the world around us is the point that I want to make to you this morning. One group follows the directions of their father and one group does not follow the directions of their father. One group is blessed and the other is not. One group adopts a God-centred lifestyle and one does not. But let's read how the final verses play out. Beginning at verse 17 where it says, Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them and they have not listened. I have called to them and they have not answered. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the command of Jehonadab your father, kept all his precepts and done all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jehonadab the son of Rechab shall never lack a descendant, never lack a man to stand before me. My friends, here in these last verses, two words came from the Lord. There's a word to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, and there's a word to the Rechabites. Here is a family that have remained utterly faithful 
to the principles of their founding father. But the people of Judah and Jerusalem have been faithless to God, persistently ignoring the prophets sent to call them to repentance. Consequently, they face disaster. Jehonadab wanted his family to be different. He wanted his sons and daughters to follow after the Lord. For 200 years, this family, every member in every generation since their ancestor Jehonadab gave the commands, have been obedient to quite a harsh set of restrictions. From an alcohol ban to living in tents. Now my friends, I believe that we too have to live by example so that the people most important in our lives see that our actions match our words. Now that isn't always easy, is it? When we're faced, as I've already said, with the pressures that this world places upon us. But I believe we must always speak the truth. Speak the truth to all those we love and come into contact with. My friends, God's desire is for his people to remain faithful. Which again begs the question, why? Why is faithfulness so important? In Proverbs 28 we read, A faithful man will abound with blessings. But he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. <coughs> Excuse me. My friends, God promises blessings when we remain faithful. But when we try to take shortcuts or we deviate from what God wants, then quite simply we end up suffering the consequences. God told the Rechabites that because they were faithful to their oath, he would allow them to live in the land and the Babylonians never took them captive. But because of, their, because of the unfaithfulness of Judah, not only did they go into captivity, it also resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and God's temple. My friends, this has always been God's way. Blessing faithfulness while disciplining unfaithfulness. My friends, we have the Bible to guide us on our journey. We also have someone on our side, don't we? My friends, our Lord and Saviour Jesus knows what you and I are going through because he was tempted in exactly the same ways that we are. But because he didn't succumb, Jesus is now our faithful high priest and is able to help us in the hard times. And that's true even though we might not be as faithful as we should be. Jesus always remains faithful, providing both grace and help when we need it. And so what's required of us? This morning. Well, in 2 Chronicles, verse 1, we read, 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray <coughs> and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. My friends, our notes that morning in December ended with these words. We're in a race and our goal is to cross the finish line. Being distracted by those who have fallen will break our stride and slow us down. Identify the Rechabites in your life. They do exist and be inspired by them. Amen. Let us pray. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go and tell the people of Judah and those listening, living in Jerusalem. Will you not learn a lesson and obey my word, declares the Lord. Father, this morning we thank you that we can come to you in prayer. And that you hear every prayer that is lifted to you. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and may our hearts be open to your word. Lord, help us not to be distracted by others as we continue our walk of faith. Father, help us this morning to hear your word and to obey Lord, help us to learn from the lessons of the past and to be faithful to you. Help us to be obedient in everything we do, whether it's in the small things, the large decisions we have to make, our private lives or our public lives. In all we do, may we remain dedicated and committed to following you, in the face of worldly pressures. Help us as we use your word as the practical guide for our lives. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.